Howdy folks, welcome to Camera Shake, where we bring you the insider scoop on all things photography and videography, giving you a unique opportunity to stay ahead of the curve. We've spent literally hundreds of hours interviewing some of the most renowned photographers of our time, giving you access to knowledge and expertise that's not available anywhere else. I'm your host, Kirsten Nuss, and in today's episode, you're going to find out why your life has just gotten a whole lot easier after this. But without further ado, let's give it up for today's special guest, the headshot expert, educator, business guru, and fellow guitarist. Give it up for Gary Hughes. Gary, man. Hey, hey, Kirsten. Uh, this is great because I love the intro that says, we interview some of the most renowned photographers. And in my head, I went, and also Gary Hughes. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, in fact, it's actually your second time on the show already. It is. Yeah, it is our second time on the show. Yeah, I'm a fan of you guys, a fan of the show. And I think, we, you know, this is the first time it's just you and me one-on-one -on -one because we both had partners the last time we did this. Yes, correct. And yeah, so that's right. Now it's just you and I, so it's going to get really intimate here. It's going to be very special, very special moment between you and I. But, but thank you for having me on. I, I love... Um, any chance that I get to just talk for a long time, I'm I'm very grateful for because I just there's nothing I love more than the sound of my own voice. Let me tell you, <laughs> fantastic. And of course, you know, if people want to hear you talk out for a whole lot longer, they should check out your podcast. Ah, see, that's the thing we got to talk about because for <laughs> almost ten years with my partner Boo Ray Perry, I have done the Photobomb podcast, four hundred episodes. You can find that anywhere podcasts are found. But we are actually wrapping up the show we're uh, we're retiring the photobomb podcast and that uh, and our last recording is going to be live at the end of this month we're doing a live show and it's going to be our final recording of the podcast just uh so anyways i don't want to promote the thing that is no gonna gonna no longer exist but if you want to check it out i'm going to continue to pay for the podcast hosting so those 400 episodes will be uh bingeable very easily and 400 episodes is plenty to binge let me tell you because we just started watching my wife and my wife Julie and I. We just started watching the Taylor Sheridan TV shows. Have you seen these Yellowstone and 1883 and 1923? Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. So we we haven't seen Yellowstone, right? And so because um, you got in the U.S., you got to subscribe to Peacock, which who cares, right? But now I do subscribe to Paramount Plus because that's where all the Star Trek stuff is. Like all yep. the Star Trek is oh, there, so yes. I will watch all the Star Trek. So. I have that subscription. I was like, ah, I'm between shows. Let me go ahead and watch this. So we started watching it in chronological order. So we started with 1883 right. and we just finished season one of 1923, which is only eight episodes. We figured we were going to get to binge a little bit more. And it ended in such like a, a place where like, that's the season? That's the half that's, season. That's the half that's, season. It's and, a half and, season. Yeah. yeah it's a half, well, here's the other thing. It's a half season and... Because of the writer's strike, which I fully support oh, the writer's yeah. strike, by the way, because the writer's strike, it was supposed to start, it was supposed to continue to come out this month. Yeah. And now it's like going to be probably next year. Oh, gosh. And like, look, if you want to, anything that where Harrison Ford is a grumpy old bastard, you sign me up for that show. I don't even need to know what it's about. All you got to say is it's Harrison Ford being a grumpy old man, and I'm all over it like a lampshade. I'm ready to go. So I, uh, I'm very, very, very disappointed that uh that 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 it ended where it ended i don't want to spoil anything really good but i am uh this is one of the few yeah. shows where i'm like i'm very excited for for it to come back so yeah same, now i'm same. gonna have to go subscribe to peacock so that i can watch yellowstone just to get a fix but there's no way it's going to be as cool i doubt there's going to be nearly as many people shooting each other which oh. is my favorite part like the gunfights well, are the best well so 
I've watched. No, if you spoil anything for me, I will hang up this call right okay, now. Okay, I tell you, I tell you, I just, I'm going to give you one little, one little uh, gem. It's not a spoiler, but uh, all right, tread lightly. But I watched everything. Oh, I have watched every single episode of of Yellowstone thus far, and there's a lot of shooting in it. Okay, good. That's I'm on board. Right. That's good. Good to know. All right, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, there you go. Because you know what, I have been a Kevin Costner fan <laughs> my entire life. I, I think he is so underrated. And and here's a fun fact about me. My favorite movie of all time, bar none, is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. It oh, is wow. my okay. favorite film. It is, I think, it is a perfect cinematic experience. From the, from the score to like, it's just so like Hollywood eating its own tail. You know, like it's like they got an American guy to play Robin Hood and he doesn't even at some point during filming, he just gave up on trying to have an English accent. You know, you've got just like and you got Christian Slater also not English playing Will Scarlet. Like and and yet you have all these incredible British character actors doing all these other parts in it. And they give the lead to the guy who was probably the biggest movie star in the early 90s, which is Kevin Costner. And. Even despite all of its ridiculousness, I still love that film so much. It's Alan Rickman, for God's sake. Yeah. Like he's he's amazing. So uh there. So Yellowstone I'm on board. I will look at Ke- I will look at Kevin Costner's old wrinkly face for hours and love every second of it. So there yeah. you go. A little fun <laughs> fact. We'll quiz at the end what's Gary's favorite film. It's Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. <laughs> it's I mean, Yellowstone's a beautiful series, man. It's single handedly responsible for me, you know, switching from Levi's to Wrangler. One. <laughs> is that right? That's right. Yeah. Well, I tell you one thing I really, let's bring this back to the photography and creative space. One of the things I love about 1883, 1923, and Yellowstone is the lack of perceivable computer graphics. Because I know that stuff's in there. Yeah. Like, I know that, that, that they use it for some of the stuff, but like just the scenery and the places where they film these things, there's so much beautiful natural scenery. And it's it's interspersed so beautifully with the the CGI elements that it, it to me it's just a, visually it's just such a treat to see that part of the country and so there, it's got a very for the most part obviously in like 1923 there's a lot of CGI elephants and stuff like that but like it, it looks it's a, such a great looking show for what I'm sure is a fairly limited production budget. You know, and uh, I, I just I think it's great. And so it, I love sh- I love movies and TV shows like that where it like the one thing that takes me out of something, whether it be a photo, whether it be a movie or a TV show is like when you when you see where the seams are like I don't like when the, there's no excuse. Hang on. Wife just came in. Hey, honey, I'm just recording a podcast. No big deal. It's fine. No, nope, my wife comes here and works. That's fine. People love behind the scenes stuff like that. my wife is my business partner. And we have four kids. So our mother, my mother-in-law comes over and watches the kids and then she will come here to the studio and, and work and get to feel like an autonomous adult human being without a child hanging on her. So it's actually pretty great. Um, yeah, so anyway, you know, there's no excuse in 2023, I don't think, for special effects to be bad. There really is. He's like, like, have you seen a show called uh, Tin Star with Tim Roth? No, but I love Tim Roth. I love Tim Roth, yeah. Oh man, it's a great show. It's set in... Um, in the Canadian Rockies, right in okay. Alberta, and it's um, it's basically he's in a nutshell he's an like he's a, a British cop who moves to Canada to work for the Canadian 
police service or whatever. But he's a the Royal Mounted Police. Yes. And um, and so, you know, and, and see, you know, a murder happens and so on and so forth. But what's stunning about this show is, of course, I mean, imagine any show shot in that, you know, place in that part of the world in the Canadian It's one Rockies. of the most stupidly beautiful places on the planet yeah. is Canada. Can like I know Canada is a big, big nation, but like seriously, it's just stupid beautiful. It's it's so beautiful, and of course, you know, you, you, everything takes place in this landscape, and it's amazing. But and you think like it's the same thing. You think like, wow, look, I mean, this is like perfect. There's no need for CGI or anything like that, you know, in a show like this. But then when you when you learn about the behind the scenes thing, and, and you learn that actually, you know, the police station. Uh, the main police station is basically it's situated in this little village and there's like massive mountains in the background and a beautiful landscape. It's actually shot in the flatlands and all the mountains are CGI. Oh, uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, but does it look good? It looks amazing, man. It okay. really does yeah, look so amazing. I, you can't tell. I couldn't tell, no. And I've been there, you know? So it's right. like, it's, uh, it's, yeah, amazing. Amazing show. Highly recommended. There's, I think, two or three, maybe three seasons of it. Oh, yeah. Any like, if, if I see like it's very rare for me to to start watching a show where there's one season, like yeah. and, like I don't. Mm, I'm gonna wait. We'll wait till we're three, four seasons deep because yeah, it's, uh, we just ran into that with 1923, and I'm just like I'm so sad that I I want to see what happens next. But yeah. anyway, so we we got to talk about work. It's some. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna get into uh, yeah. Star you're, Trek you got Space a bunch of listeners that are probably like. Uh, please just talk about photography. So that's what we're here that's, for. I think they're probably used to it by now. Oh, that's fair <laughs> because yeah, yeah, I I have other interests besides photography. Okay, this isn't about you. This is about me. I'm just kidding. What is? But <laughs> I'm not kidding. But I'm kidding. All right. Well, Gary, um, just give us a, the helicopter view of um of your career so far. Obviously, you're known in the headshot world as like as the go-to headshot expert. How hmm. did you get? I mean, how did that? come about and how did you get there in the first place? Oof. Well, first of all, I do not take the title as the headshot expert. I, I'm even more niche than that. I'm probably, um, I, I'm probably say a subject matter expert, especially when it comes to headshots related to teams and events, more volume stuff. And so there are, you know, finally, and it took years for this to happen because when that, when headshots really started to become their own genre in photography, like uh, the, uh, it was really for many, many years, decades even, a headshot was only something that everybody did a little bit of on the side. And with the advent of social media, as we all know, headshots became something that sort of like literally every person needs one. So it's it fast became this massive thing. And in the beginning, there were really only two people teaching headshot photography, and it was Peter Hurley and it was myself and two very different focuses on the business as far as that's concerned, you know, doing like very high end you know, individual uh, headshots versus doing headshots for large groups of people, which is my specialty. And so that's where I think, that's where I think I shine is because there's nobody, I, I'm not the best headshot photographer, not even the, in the top 100, you know, and I'm also, but I am one of the best headshot photographers at speed. Like I can, I could direct pose, make somebody comfortable and execute a solid headshot 400 times in a row. And, and I could do that. Not only can I pull that off, but I can do it so efficiently that my clients love me. And so I'm been, I've been really good at trying to teach people how to build a business around that type of work. And the biggest struggle with that is taking photographers who many of them are, let's put this nicely, tender, tender artists, you know, so we're like, you're like, you basic, but when you shoot volume, you're the help. 
And when you shoot high-end individual stuff, you, your clients, you want them to see you as an artist and to trust your vision. And like, I don't have any of those tenderness pitfalls, you know, when it comes to my clients. It's literally like I'm taking a picture for their email signature or their LinkedIn profile or their business card. And if they want to take another picture, I take another picture. I don't get my feelings hurt. So that's it, it, to teach photographers how to change their thinking away from this sort of precious protectiveness of their art to let's go make some money taking some boring ass photos. And that's like what I teach better than better than most. And that's my specialty. And so um, I got into photography. My parents are photographers. I'm a second generation. Uh, my dad started photography back in the 70s and he had a studio in England for a number of years. We emigrated to the States when I was a kid and me and my siblings, we all my three siblings, we all worked in the family photography business. My first job was in the studio was my dad was teaching me how to use the dark room and developing funny enough um, business headshots, like doing small doing smaller enlargements from uh, from you know medium format negatives for like an eight by ten business portrait that was going to be used in an ad or something like that. So these are all black and white you know, Mamiya or Bronica type of, you know, negatives. And so we were, um, you know, if you're like going to be something, if you're going to, if your parents do a job, like if you're a young man and your dad does a job, like there's this whole thing where like, I'm going to, you know, your dad's a lawyer, you become a lawyer, your dad's a doctor, you become a doctor, your dad's a cop, you become a cop. So some people are like, yes, I'm going to follow my father's footsteps. And some are like, I'm going to run screaming to the hills and join a hippie commune because I don't want to do that. And so I was definitely the latter. Because my my parents worked really hard in an industry that isn't anything like it is now. It was a completely different place. There were like two or three photographers in the town where I grew up, and now there were probably like a hundred and fifty. So they, you know, they were like, and in a small town, when you're a photographer, you're not really allowed to specialize. You really have to do everything. So they did weddings, family portraits, and everything else under the sun: commercial work, business portraits, all kinds of stuff. And it was. I had a negative view of photography as a kid because, uh, you know, whenever I was stayed home from school sick or something, I had to go to the studio with my dad and sit there all day. And there was no internet, there was no, uh, no mobile phones, no iPads. And we, hell, I didn't, I didn't have a laptop, so you just basically had to sit there and like be bored for eight hours. So, but like staying, faking sick to stay home from school is like I would just rather go to school. And so. I left home, did a bunch of other jobs. I was a janitor. I was a construction worker. I went to school uh, to, be, to and I have a degree in sociology. I went back to school. I have a degree in IT and I've done a lot of different things. And I ended up, while I was working repairing computers, I bought a digital Rebel on a Black Friday sale and just on a whim, it was like $2.99. And so I bought it. I started taking pictures for fun. I was like, oh, I actually really like this because I'd never done photography before that. This was probably 2006. And so you know, I started having fun with it. And then immediately, because I'm an entrepreneur at heart more than anything else, is I I figured, tried to like, how do I monetize this thing that I enjoy? Like, that's a weird, weird compulsion of people who are entrepreneurs is like, oh, I really like doing this. How do I make money with it? And you're like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, why? Why do you want to ruin this thing that you like by turning it into a job? Like, I don't understand. So a lot of my career has been trying to strike that delicate balance between the thing that I enjoy doing and making a living doing it. So I've sort of almost in self-protection separated the art of my photography from the business of my photography. The business of my photography isn't typically very artistic. It takes skill 
and craftsmanship and experience and interpersonal skills, you know, all kinds of stuff, but it doesn't, it doesn't require an artist. And so, um, and so when I do photography for fun, mostly of my family, you know, uh, I get to play. And so photography is still playtime for me when I want it, but it's also the business part of it isn't so taxing. I'm not putting my artistic ego on the line with my clients. I'm just taking headshots. And so like it's, it's, it works out pretty well. And we, it, but it's taken 15 years in business this year to, to really find that balance and to learn to protect myself from it. Uh, because I've seen too many people come into the industry because they want to do something they love for a living. And then what happens is two things. They either become very successful at it and burn out because the demands on their creativity are too much, or they are not successful at it and they pour their heart and soul into it and they fail. And either way, the successful person usually stops doing photography for the joy of it at all. And the unsuccessful person will very often walk away from the camera and never pick it back up again. And so like you want to ruin photography for yourself, uh, then do not build walls around your creativity. Do not treat your business like a business. Do not manage the growth of your business. Just go ahead and keep shooting for fun and trying to sell that to people. And that's like the number one way you're going to lose your love of photography and probably go out of business. So uh, that's the, the best advice I could ever give is like, if you don't want to run a business, don't become a professional photographer. You can be an amateur photographer or an enthusiast and have a blast with it and and go to dental school. But like, if, if, if you have to run a business, and if you run the business and the and the and the business serves you, then you're going to preserve your love of photography because you're going to make those make better decisions going forward. As far as like what you do with your time, what kind of work do you create? What areas of photography do you practice in? And be a business owner rather than the photographer in the business. Because at some point, if you really want to run a successful business, you have to look at yourself as an as the owner of the business and also as the chief employee in the business. And so like people just want to shoot because it's fun, but then that kills your business a lot of times. And so that's where we got to where we are is when Julie and I found out we were going to be parents, we immediately decided to get out of the wedding and portrait business because that's a lot of nights and weekends. It is. You know, when do your clients want to have meetings? Well, when they get off work on their time, you know, you're going to meet them at seven o'clock at night and then you're going to have to sit with them for a couple hours and show them all your wedding albums. What are the weddings? Mostly on the weekends. When are family portraits? They're going to be on the weekends when kids are out of school. When do you do the sales appointments? You know, like it's all evenings and weekends. And on top of those evenings and weekends, you still have to work during the day during the week to get all your admin stuff done. And so now I have four kids. And when the weekend comes, I get to be with them the whole time. And at night, I get to go home at six o'clock and I get to drive from the studio to the house and I have dinner with my kids and I put them to bed and I sing songs and we read books and like, you know, we give them you know, give them a bath and everything can be, I mean, I'm not saying it's perfect because, you know, I have four small children and sometimes it's a nightmare. I'm going to be honest with you, Kirsten. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I just want to run into traffic. It's so frustrating. But oh. the point is I'm there and I'm engaging with my family. So that was a decision that we made. And as it happens, the area of practice that was most profitable in our studio at the time wasn't weddings or portraits. It was headshots. So we really leaned into becoming what we now call a commercial portrait studio which is every picture we take in our studio is for someone for their job. And whether that is custom stock photography or even some small scale video production, headshots, branding photography, event photography coverage for corporate events, 
Um, does not matter. Like we will do it if it's for work, because the key behind that is one, they're not spending their own money. They're spending someone else's money most of the time. Two, they don't want to talk to me or see me on nights and weekends anymore than I want to talk to them or see them. And so I basically keep bankers hours and have a, a business. And not many people really lean into that side of photography. Everybody gets into weddings. Everybody gets into portraits, babies in buckets, couches in fields. You know, everybody wants to be a fashion photographer where that's actually not profitable at all <laughs> unless you're in a market that supports it. So like, I get it. I'd understand that's fun, but I also want to do something in photography and make a living. And I also want to be in the lives of my family on a daily basis rather than editing images at two in the morning, wondering why I started this damn thing in the first place. So there's the answer. There's the, that's it. That's the, the long answer. And you know what? Everything you just said, if you replaced the word photography with the word music, it'd be just as true. You know, and as um, you know, as, as everybody listening to this podcast knows, I mean, that's exactly my experience, and that's that's precisely why I'm not in the music industry anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, because it was, it'll it was, kill it for you. It completely kills it. You know, and it's the same thing. You know, I um, at the time, you know, of course, you start playing the guitar because it's fun and it's a hobby, and then when it becomes a job, then at, at some point you're going to have to look at monetizing it. And in my case, oh right, you know, in my case, it was you know doing a number of different things, uh, sessions and recordings on one hand, um, but also I set up a music school. And so I was running a music school for about 12 years. And mm -hmm. um, that, it, it, it was very similar to what you just described, you know, because, you know, the vast majority of your students are going to be kids and teenagers. You know, they're always going to have lessons after school and in the evenings and on mm -hmm. weekends, you know, mm -hmm. and same with, same with adult students, the vast majority are going to have lessons after school. So actually it's exactly the same thing. You know, you're like, you're basically, you're working from 3.30, 4 o'clock to the no, late hours this way. When you're creating a product or offering a service that is some kind of non-necessity, an end user personal yeah, item, yeah. when those people are free to do personal things is in their personal time. And so your schedule becomes a slave to that. And Absolutely. so that's, and, that, and, and that's fine. And some people are in a stage in their life where that works. Maybe you're single, maybe you're married yeah. and you got no kids and you're partnered with, and you know, you and your partner do your business together. And that's how Julie and I were for a long time. We didn't care when we worked. It was just the two of us living in a condo and just having fun with photography. But at some point we're like, oh, this, this isn't going to work. And I think you'll see a lot of photographers make that progression yeah. from wedding and portraits into other things. They'll do like school photography and things like that, that make money that you could do during the day, during the week. And we just figured that out pretty early on that that's what we wanted to do. And our and, and you know what's crazy, Kirsten, is like the more we've specialized, the busier we've gotten. And I know that there's a certain like we happen to live in a, 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 a good size metro area in we're in Orlando and we have a good size metro area. So the, if you live in a large area, you can specialize more easily. If you're in a small town or village or somewhere like it's very hard to specialize. Because, you know, there just aren't enough people in that particular genre. So, you know, but but if you can, the more that we put limits on my time, the more we've raised our prices, the harder we are to get to, to book with, the longer lead time before a client can get in the studio, the busier we get. The more we specialize and define our purpose and our mission as a studio, the busier we've gotten. And that's really counterintuitive if you don't understand how business works and it really is important and, and a lot of creatives in creative fields don't have the confidence to do that out of the gate and why would you 
because you can't have confidence without some measure of sort of success and reinforcement to know that you're doing things well, right? Like, oh, we're making money and this cool thing and I got and I booked this job with this awesome client, you know, those types of things. It takes a while to build that confidence. But if anybody's listening and you're in like year three or four of your photography business, I promise you, you have not even begun to see what is possible with your business. In my experience, photography is a small business with a slow growth curve. And most people don't hit their stride until year six or seven is about when things start, when that tipping point starts to happen, when you don't have to beat the bushes for every single job, when the community at large are enough people talking about you and recommending you that work is coming to you more and more unsolicited, where you're able to retain your clients and keep pulling from the same pool of people to have a long-term profitable business. So if you're at like year four and you're like, I, I, I suck, I'm not doing anything right. That's what you're, that's where you're supposed to be right now. That's where literally where you're supposed to be. Some people have success more quickly and that happens, but you don't worry about those people because I swear to you, I promise you, those are the outliers. Those are not the normal people. In any system, there are people who beat the odds and people who do better and people who do worse. If you talk to most photographers who are long-term successful in their business, I guarantee you they would tell you that they hit their stride somewhere between years five and eight. Like that's pretty much right down the middle. So, you know, don't quit. If you really want to do it, you can, but don't quit at year four because other people will quit at year four and you can succeed where they don't. It's a marathon and not a sprint. That's what I yeah, say. Yeah. You know, if you want to just take all that smart stuff I said and just whittle it down to a platitude, yes, then it's a marathon, not a sprint. Just, <laughs> just remember that. That's, that's all you need to know. Yeah. Just delete <laughs> everything I said and, and then just, you know, edit in what you just said because obviously it's more important, even though I'm the guest here. That's fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, let me just jump in real quick to tell you about the amazing sponsor of this episode, Platypod. Platypod offers innovative camera support systems designed to unleash your creativity. With their stable, versatile, and portable solutions, you can capture stunning shots like never before. And I'm not just saying that. As the host of the Camera Shake podcast, I can personally vouch for Platypod's incredible products. They've become an integral part of the show. In fact, I'm surrounded by various Platypod products holding up lights, cameras, microphones, and so on. It's really helped to transform the way I make the show and the way I shoot at home, in the studio, and on location. But don't just take my word for it. Explore Platypod's website at www.platypod.com to discover their range of products, including the Platypod Extreme, Platyball Tripod Heads, and the brand new handle, of course. Make sure to follow Platypod on Instagram and Facebook at Platypod Tripods for exclusive updates, tips, and giveaways. By choosing Platypod, you're not only investing in your photography, but you're also supporting the Camera Shake Photography Podcast. Thanks again to Platypod, our amazing sponsor. Platypod, where innovation never sleeps. Gary, you mentioned something I thought that I thought was really interesting. Um, you basically, in the beginning, you, you compared um, the sort of artistic vision of a photographer shooting individual headshots, let's say in a home studio, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and you contrasted that with the, uh, the sort of commercial necessity of um, shooting large crowds, as in like, mm-hmm. you know, volume headshot sessions. Yes. And, I know you've done that a thousand times over. I've done that many times. And I know that these two situations couldn't be more different from each other. Because I know from my own experience, the first time I had to shoot um, a team of 45, 45 employees in a in, in this company. Um, you know, I I actually did some education on that. You know, I, I watched 
has certain creative life classes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yourself and so on. But, um, you know, I, I thought, you know, I realized that I had to prep myself for that. But when you're in it and when you're doing it, you all of a sudden start to understand that this is a completely different ball game. Yes. So to any headshot photographer, any photographer who um, might think, you know, it might be a good idea to get into the headshot game, how would you describe what it's like to shoot a large team of employees for a company? Okay. So I, you take all your dignity and self-respect and you put it into a magic bullet and then you just blend it <laughs> until it's gone. Now, I, I look, I, here's the thing about volume. It's not for everybody. It is not a photography game. It's a personality game. I don't care how good of a photographer you are. If you're not engaging and interesting and and you don't like talking to people a hundred times in a row, um, or you can't muster the strength to do it without doing damage to your emotional health, then don't take the job or take the job and pay someone else to shoot it because it's emotionally, it's a lot. Because here's the thing that photographers very often do wrong. In a volume situation, they view their uh, participants in that as sort of a body, a number, a thing to like be conquered and do next. And what I do, because at heart, I'm a people person and I love interacting with strangers. I love winning people over. I love making people laugh. I really do like people and like being around them. And so it is so conducive to my personality that the best part for my um, my participants, my subjects, my clients, you know, the people who I shoot, isn't the photos. Although I do good photos, it's it's the interaction that they get. It's taking something that they were like reticent to do and turn it into something that they really enjoy. And that is the trick for and me. And that's huge. That is awesome to huge. So I like people to leave feeling like they had a great experience because of their interaction with me. It's a personality game, not a photography game. I could teach a clever chimpanzee how to operate a camera. You know, I could set up the lights and all you got to do is get the chimp to push the button every once in a while and you're good. It's not about the photography. That part's on lock. It's not really hard to get that down. What's hard to get down is to see these people as human beings 200 times in a row, no matter how tired you might be, no matter how hungover you might be, whatever it is, like you have to engage people like they're human beings. Remember their name, use their name, talk to them, ask them things about them. Don't use tricks to try and get people to engage with you. Just like be receptive to the energy that they're putting out and respond with the energy that they need and they'll give it to you. And you can get really good at that really fast. But if that type of interaction does not appeal to you, then run to the hills, stay far, far away from volume photography because it will suck your soul right out. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to take a picture of some 22-year-old dude who is gorgeous with cheekbones that look like they were designed by Michelangelo. And you're going to take a beautiful headshot of this beautiful man. And he's going to come around. He's going to look at the photos you took and he's going to go, oh, I don't like any of these. Ugh. And you're going to be like, you're so stupid. I'm looking at my old face and my tired eyes and my gray hair. And I'm looking at this beautiful young man. And he's just going to look right in your face. He's going to tell you that you suck. And that happens a lot. Because, but here's the thing. It's not on me. He doesn't hate my work. He doesn't hate me. He hates his own stupid face is what he hates. People bring an incredible amount of baggage into their self-image. 
And there's a lot of psychology going on in that exchange. And so if you can't take it when someone looks at the photos that just came out of your camera and go, I don't like any of them, because that happens to me, it happens. It happens to everybody. It happens to me as much as it does to anybody. But it's not about me. I did everything right. But sometimes that's part of the process. But if that hurts your soul, volume photography is going to kill you. It doesn't bother me at all. So I'll tell you exactly. I'll give you an example how I respond to something like that. So Kirsten, just just tell look. Pretend you're going to look at photos and then tell me I don't like any of them. No, man. I I don't. I'll be honest with you. I don't like any of these shows. Oh yeah, totally understand that, man. Looking at your face like this big on a monitor is, man, for some people that's shocking. And believe me, I hate having my picture taken too. I tell you what, let's do this. Let's look at the photos. Let's look at them again. And if I'll be happy to retake some, but it's going to be the same photographer, the same lights, the same you, the same background. So we have to decide that we're going to do something different. And right now you and I are going to decide what that different thing is. Okay. So look at the pictures. And if you could be really specific to tell me what you don't like, then we can change something and you will like it. So is it the way your hair is sitting? Is it your expression? Is it the angle on your face? Is it your posture? Be as specific as you can. Now make something up. Just make something up. I just, I don't like the size of my nose. The size of your, oh yeah, well, you know, you got a big nose. No, I'm just kidding. I would never say that. Um, no, I totally get that. So what I'm going to do is this. In order to mitigate that a little bit in camera, we're going to use, and this is where, by the way, I let people a little bit in on inside baseball and it makes them feel really good that they're now they're collaborating with me. I don't fight with them. I make them collaborators. I go, okay. So in order to do this, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to come a little bit closer to you and I'm going to zoom out a little bit. And that's going to change the lens perspective and everything in the middle, like where your nose is going to be, is going to get squished a little bit. And I think that might be more used to what you're seeing. That's going to look a little bit more like when you take your picture with a smartphone because they have wide lenses. Does that sound cool? You want to try that? 100%. Let's go. Okay, let's do it. And now we take pictures and now you come back and you look at the new pictures. Yeah. So I'll tell you one thing. One thing I do is um, uh, that I find really helpful, uh, especially in a, not necessarily in a- um, You just tell people to stop being a baby. Is that what you do? <laughs> yeah. Shut up. <laughs> it's an email signature photo, you jerk. Just point yeah. at one. Exactly. Just pick your picture. Yep. So one, one thing I find really useful is um, is that, you know, I, I start a session by, you know, shooting for a little bit, maybe for 10 minutes or so, and then um, then I get them to come over to the screen and we'll look through what we've shot so far. And what I'll do is I'll watch my subject um, and I see how they react. And typically what happens is they tend to favor certain specific things, mm -hmm. like maybe, you know, the, like their head turned one way or another way. Or whatever mm -hmm. it may be, and you know, I, I'm then just by watching their reactions, I'm able to kind of dial down what it is that they don't like about themselves, mm -hmm. and then I just avoid doing that. Why don't you just summer. ask them what they don't like about? Yeah, yeah themselves. I mean, it's, it's part of a conversation and part of watching their. Why don't you start that before you take the yeah. first picture? That's what That's I do. Okay. I, I'm telling you, I ask them, it's in their onboarding form when like an individual right. studio. And then right before I take them, I said, okay, so we're here having your picture taken sucks. It's awful. We're going to make it a good time. But I want to know what you think. If you could just be honest with me and tell me what about having your picture taken stresses you out? What about you in pictures stresses you out? And man, when you give people the floor, they will tell you the craziest stuff and everything uh, that's helpful from like... Yeah. When, when I smile, my left eye looks smaller and I prefer this side of my face. Good. That's the only side of the, my, their face I'm going to shoot for the whole rest of the shoot. 
or they go like, you know, when I, I have a gap here, my tooth, that really bothers me, or they go like, ah, my double chin, like they'll tell you. And it's not necessarily even if you do what they ask you to do, I think it's important. But even if they're wrong, they're like, this is my good side. I'm like, it's, no, it's absolutely not. But it doesn't matter. What it does is it starts the process of collaboration to where they feel like they have some control over it. And that relieves a lot of the psychological pressure, a lot of the tension, a lot of the baggage that people bring into sessions. And so like, I like the idea the way you do it, that's like subtlety, where you're trying to just be, you know, observant. I, I, maybe it's the the American in me, but like, I like the direct approach and everybody has, by the way, a different way of doing things because I like people to say out loud with their mouth, looking me in the eye, what it is they want. I like, and I like to bring them into the circle. Photographers sometimes in creative for like notorious for being selfish creators. It's my vision. It's my image. It's my lighting. It's my ideas. It's my knowledge. It's my expertise. And like your clients, it doesn't matter if the images are good or not. It matters if your client likes them and if they're happy. Absolutely. That, yeah. that, that supersedes. Yeah. Now, it, now, you want the Venn diagram, right, where both things exist. But if I had to choose between a happy client and a good photo, I'd choose a happy client. Every time. One right. And so my goal is to accomplish both of those things. And the thing I found that eliminates most of the friction in a session is, like you said, being observant of what they're doing. Like One of the things that people do often is when they get in front of the camera, they will subtly, like subconsciously push one side towards you. And I find that happens a lot. Not all the time, maybe about half the time. And so I'll go, I see that you're kind of, when I take your picture, when I was doing the test shots, you were really turning your left side of your face to me. Is that the side to, that you like better? Do you want me to focus on that? And then they'll go, you know what? I didn't even notice it, but yeah, yeah, that's that's the side I like. You know, it's the being observant and subtle is important. But I, for me, getting them to say it to me and making making them actively collaborate with me solves 90% of my problems in the studio. And usually it's just me and the other person. And so there's nobody to listen to tell to te that they're confessing to besides me. Do you find when you're working in the, working with clients that they tell you like the craziest things? Like, like yeah, it's so like being a bartender sometimes. 100%. And you know, I think this is actually as probably the single most important aspect um, of of really building that connection with a client is to get the client to trust you to the point where they can open up to you like that and let their guard down. Right, but and you have to do that fast. Very Especially fast. in a volume situation. You yeah. have to do it really fast. And so I'm really, really, really good at picking up on people's energy and their vibes. I can't, I don't have a 100% kill rate. I, I make mistakes just like anybody, but I'm very good at it. That's my, more than photography, that's my superpowers, people. I just, I, I observe them. I know how to make them look good, but I also know how to make them feel good. I know how to disarm people quickly. And if I can do that with a line of people waiting to be photographed, then I can, then I'm going to be successful at my job because ultimately, yes, it's good to be kind and empathetic and to treat people like human beings. I believe that has to be at the core of what you do when you're a portraitist. A, a real portraitist understands people and loves to document and create stories about people. Um, but ultimately, this same skill set is good for your business because the more people that stand in front of your camera and walk away feeling good, like you've done these events where like you're creating great headshots for people as you go. And then all of a sudden, over the first couple of hours, it starts to generate a buzz and people go and get their friends and bring their friends over to you and people tell their boss. And then, you know, at the end of the job, my company contact is like, you were the hit of the whole event. 
people cannot stop talking about it da, 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 because like and that's not because the photos are fine like my conference headshots are fine they're not amazing because they just can't be amazing in that situation but uh they can be great they can't be amazing you know not with 90 seconds per person but they can be really good so somebody could take better pictures of them no question but nobody's going to take a, a picture that good of them and also make them feel really good and have had a great experience that they want to go telling people about in 90 seconds. That's, that's my superpower. And that's the thing is like, you're really, you know, you get it. I think in this business, you got to get away from uh, thinking that you're selling photos per se. And you get, oh, you're thinking, not at all. You're mm -hmm. selling an experience. You know, that's, that's if you're selling part. photos. You're going to lose to AI a hundred percent. You're going to exactly. lose to artificial. If you're selling photography, if you're selling digital photos, I'm not saying, yes, we're selling digital files. If you're, if you think your job is to take pretty pictures of people, uh, and and to sell them to them, you're going to go out of business. AI is is going to eat your lunch. Have you Googled headshot photography recently, Kirsten? Have you Googled yes. it? Yeah, only today. The, the first five sponsored ads are going to be different AI headshot generators. They what are I'm spending saying? a ton of money to try and destroy the headshot photography industry, these AI companies. Every single one of them is actively trying to kill our business, take food off our tables, and put us out of business. Every single one. And that, to me, should be terrifying to those of you that are just selling photos. What you have to be doing is solving problems and giving people incredible experiences. And that goes for people who are doing high-end photographs individually or they're doing volume photography. And so I've actually thought about this. I want to attack this issue and put it out in front of my clients instead of like hoping they don't find out about it because anybody Googles headshots, they're going to find out about it in about five seconds, you know. Um, but what we have to do is concentrate on the experience we create and the problems that we solve. So let's say, for example, you uh, run a a law firm, right? You're the you're the office administrator for a, a big law firm. You've got 50 lawyers. So that's like a small to medium sized business. When it comes to law firms, that's actually fairly small potatoes. But 50 people or so, that's about the sweet spot for when you shoot team headshots in your in your local area, right? So here's what happens. I am the, 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 the senior partner in the law firm. And I come to you, Kirsten. I say, Kirsten, we need new headshots for all of the 50 attorneys in the firm. Uh, we're launching a new website in January and I want this done before then. And uh, I need you to handle it. So you got to go do it, right? So what does Kirsten do? Well, you like me, you're an elder millennial. So we're going to do the same thing. We're going to go to the Google machine and we're going to type in headshots or whatever. So let's say that you find one of these AI headshot generator things and you click on that and you go, oh, that looks great. Uh, I don't even have to do anything. Nobody even has to go in for a photo shoot. So now what do you got to do? In order to make that happen, now you have to go and you have to find headshots or get 50 attorneys, attorneys. These are people who are very busy to submit pictures of themselves that they like well enough to submit to the AI image generator using, by the way, using to feed the AI with their faces, which lawyers might not want to do, but that's a totally other issue. So now you have to collect headshots from 50 people, whether you get them to submit ones that they like, or you have to go around to their LinkedIn and their social media profiles and grab all those photos. So you have to gather hundreds of photos together and collate them. Now you have to sit in front of this AI image generator and you have to feed it the photos. And then the photos that it spits out you have to send a link to every single person to let them pick the one they want. And now 
they're going to pick ones that aren't consistent with each other across the board. They're going to be from different angles. The lighting's going to look different. And now nobody's headshot is going to look the same. And you're going to get back, well, I don't like any of them. Okay, so now you got to go back in and you got to regenerate the headshot for that people or those 12 people. Like you're talking a process that is going to take you six, eight, 12 weeks to complete trying to put all those puppies in the basket. So now you thinking that you were doing a good thing by saving money instead of paying a hundred pounds or a hundred dollars a person or 150 or whatever it is you charge, you're paying $39 a person, right? Which you think great. But now you've just lost three months of your damn life trying to put all these puppies in a basket when you have way more important things to do. Now, let's say Kirsten, the office administrator, goes to Google, types in headshots, sees my website and you click on it and you go, well, we have a budget for this project and this guy looks like it'll fall in our budget. So we're going to, you know, it's going to cost us maybe six, seven grand to get all these headshots done. Now what happens is you give me the day to come out. I come to your office. I photograph every single attorney. They pick their favorite image right there on site. And then the next day I deliver 50 retouched headshots that look perfectly consistent across the board. And you are done with the project in a matter of 48 hours. Not only that, but I am able to give every single person their own gallery and, and, and individually deliver emails to each person that is going to let them download their own photos. So you don't even have to distribute the photos. I give you all the photos to plug into the Outlook server so everybody gets their email signature and everybody else gets their images to put on their LinkedIn on their own. And it's all done inside two business days from start to finish. Now, let me tell you, if time is money, which one of those options sounds better to you? Absolutely. Option number two, 100%. Right. And that's what you have to market to your clients to keep your business alive. That's what you have to focus on. You have to create that content. You have to proactively go to all of your previous clients and be like, and, and ask yourself, how can I improve my level of service? How can I make the experience incredible? How can I make it so that the person who hires me regularly knows that if they try to dive down the AI headshot hole for their team, they're going to end up hating their life. And it's going to suck six weeks out of their life where I'm going to take care of it for them in two days and it's going to be done and everything's going to look great and be consistent and everyone will be happy and as little fuss as possible. Not because I create the best headshots in the world, because AI could probably create more interesting images than I could, but because the systems are not in place for that to be good for team jobs yet. And they may not ever be. There, nobody may generate something that's like good for that, although I think it probably will. But ultimately, at some point, you have to interact with the 50 people whose headshots are being chosen. And like, I'm going to take all that off your plate. I'm going to take delivery off your plate. I'm going to take all of the admin completely off of your plate. And that's going to be cheaper in the long run. And so that's how you tackle AI. If you're shooting individual headshots in the studio, guess who's not going to get an AI headshot? The high-end person who's going to come in and spend $1,500, $2,000 on headshots and branding photos. They're not going to do that. Now, if you're worried about losing all your realtor clients, they were never yours to begin with, those cheap bastards. Realtors, <laughs> realtors I'm just teasing. I like to make fun of realtors. Um, I have some great clients that are realtors, by the way. But those people who are like really looking to save a buck, AI eats the bottom of the market first. Like automation eats up the bottom of the market. And it's going to really, really hurt those people who are charging $100 for a headshot coming into the studio and $25 for every image, retouch image after that. The, there's no incentive to work with you. 
none. But if you have a great experience and prestige and a high price point, like your your clients with money are not going to sit there in front of an AI generator. They want to hire a specialist. Yep. I was talking to my friend about this yesterday, literally yesterday. There's a reason why I don't mow my own, own lawn. It's not because I couldn't mow my own lawn. It's because I work really, really hard to have enough money to not have to spend my day off mowing my damn lawn. So I pay a guy to mow my lawn. And all these things in my life and in my business, as soon as I get to a point where any successful moneyed person will tell you that the best thing that you can do is outsource things to specialists and professionals so that you don't have to think about them anymore. And those are the people that are going to come in and spend money with you because they just want you to take care of it and they want it to be the best. And so your individual headshots, if you want to survive in the individual headshot game, you have to move toward higher end. If you're going to survive in the team and event headshot games, you have to move towards a seamless, incredible experience that takes everything off the plate of your client. If you move those two areas of business in those two directions, AI cannot touch you. You'll be fine, at least for the foreseeable future. I completely agree with you. I mean, you know, there's, there's two things there. One is, um, you know, we all know the sort of the, the bottom end, you know, low hanging fruit type of photographers. You know, in, in my area, it's the, the 60 quid headshot photographer. Yeah, and, I, you know. and again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think everybody has no, to no. start somewhere and you learn these lessons 100%. on your own. So I'm not mad at those people. I'm trying to save those people. That's all. Yeah. And of course, you know, and uh, and I mean, I know from my own experience, because obviously, I, you know, like many photographers, I myself have gone through that, through these stages as well, you know, by the time, you know, you start your business, you, you know, pitch yourself relatively low. Um, at some point, the penny drops and you realize that actually, you know, um, your clients, your lucrative clients are the more high-end clients and you price yourself accordingly and you change your business around to serve those clients in particular. Yes, um, 100%. You know, and uh, and... I, I always say this, you know, I'm very happy to signpost people to to the right fit, you know, um, when I realize on the phone that they're not my clients, you know, 100% every time. But um, when it, you know, the pressure of AI, especially on on team headshots and, you know, group headshots, um, so to say, is, of course, that photographers now are really going to have to create a better experience and create a better service and be faster and quicker and, you know, better and more convenient than they've ever been before. Mm -hmm. And there are, you know, digital tools, so to say, out there to help you in many of these different aspects, like, you know, online galleries, blah, blah, this and then the other. But mm -hmm. what, you, what you've done, let's talk a little bit about headshot tools for a minute. Oh, yeah. This, um, is, this, is, this is it. We're talking about it? All right, it. Let's yeah. do it. So what you've been able to do is you've been able to look at all of these different problem areas that headshot photographers have, in particular when it comes to um, shooting groups and teams and so on volume sessions um, and you've been able to basically find a digital solution for each one of these problems streamline the whole process put it all together package it up and and put it out there as one tool that does it all essentially yes that's true yeah uh, well essentially there are two types of headshot photographers who shoot groups of people like small teams to high volume at, at events and we're talking like five people to 500 people there are two types of photographers who do this the ones that go in and they do everything manual and they write everything down, everybody's name, and then they write their image numbers down in a spreadsheet and then they, they go back after and they rename the images and then they create 25 galleries and then they up like there are those for and they're like, bye. They don't seem super incentivized to find an easier way to do it. They just do it because they don't know any better and or, or haven't bothered to go and look to see what's out there. And, and uh, spoiler alert, until two months ago, there was nothing out there for this. 
And then there are photographers, we call them the home brewers. So there's home brewers, they will home brew a solution. And this was what I did for a long time. And my business partner, Dave Kalmbach, like we both do a lot of this. And <clears throat> so this is what we did was we just home brewed a solution. And it was like, we used a form signing and a Google sheet and like, a, like five different pieces of software to create a seamless experience for clients but it was a nightmare on the photography end. You got all these balls in the air. And so like we even approached, Dave and I both have approached several different companies that have software that's similar and said, hey, if you wanted to, you could just do this and this and this, and then we could adapt it to headshot photography. And then I, I could be your spokesperson. I'll go sell it for you. And like, like all I want is for this to exist. I don't want to make a software, but if you change these one or two things and, and, and did that, then I could, I could tell everybody I teach, everybody I see that this is what you need to be using. And we get told, nah, like a bunch of times we got told no. So like, essentially what we did was, I, you know, I contacted, you know, my good friend, Carol, I contacted her husband who's a software engineer. And I said, Justin, like, how much would this cost if I wanted to make it like for me, just for me to use, I didn't want to sell it. And then, and then, so we talked for a couple hours. He gave me like a ballpark on what he thought it would cost. But as we started to have these conversations over time, he just kind of started to build it. And then it, we, we, and then it became this thing like, well, we have to let other people use this too. So then it be, kind of became a business. And then it evolved into what is now called Headshot Tools. So if you go to headshottools.com, there's like a video, there's like videos that show you how it works. But essentially what it does is you shoot tethered, Headshot Tools talks to your tethering software, renames the files with the name of the person in the photo as you shoot. So you have sign in form or CSV upload to add your subjects into the system. Then you shoot it renames the folders. Then you export to a to a auto upload utility that's watching your export folder. And it grabs the images you put in that export folder, those renamed files, uploads them into the cloud, automatically creates individual galleries for each person, puts every image that belongs to that person into the gallery. And then it can mass notify by email every person individually to their email, sending them individual links to their gallery for either proofing, for retouching selection, or just to deliver final images. And it gives you the ability to track when people have viewed their gallery. It gives you CSV data exports. Like it's so bonkers. I didn't build it, physically build it because I'm not a software engineer. So I just have been basically consulting on the creation of it. Like making it was my idea, but like, I don't know how to code. And so Justin has made this beautiful, incredibly intuitive piece of software that just literally I walk off of a job and I'm done now. Like, yeah, I'm, the images are delivered before I leave to each person individually, as well as creating a full gallery link for the company contact. And I can get, tell them how long people waited in line. I can like, I like it's seriously, it's, it's so stupid, stupid good that, uh, I, I, I couldn't run my business without it. And here's the thing. I'm absolutely ruining my clients for anybody who doesn't use headshot tools. Because what's going to happen is this, is like somebody, one of my clients at some point is going to hire somebody else that's cheaper. And they're going to show up and they'll be like, okay, so here's what, I, here, uh, here's what I want you to do. I've given you a list of everybody's name in advance. I want you to go ahead and make sure that you can email everybody an individual gallery. And they're going to go, N what, what? No, no, we're just going to dump them into a big, you know, photo shelter or pixie set or something. And then they have to go find them. Well, okay, at least make sure that you rename the files with everybody's names. Like, I can't do that for 200 people. Are you kidding me? Like, you know, and also, can you just give me some data after the fact that lets me know? And, and also, I want everybody to be able to select images that they want retouched, and then you deliver those to them individually as well. They're going to go, I, that doesn't exist. No, it does exist. It's called headshot tools. And if you're doing this type of work and you don't have it, 
Somebody who does have it is going to destroy that client for anyone else. It's unbelievably cool how, how well this works. And it's the only software that I'm aware of that's ever been specifically made for photographers who do this kind of job. And it all happened kind of by accident. It grew organically out of this, this partnership and friendship with, with these guys I'm working with. And um, it's, it's stupid good. Anyway, if you want to check it out, headshottools.com, just go check it out. You can sign up right on the site if you want to do it. We're, we're actually in an open beta right now. So it's a paid open beta and it's unlimited everything for the one price of $59 a month. And you can check that out. And when you consider the amount of money I was paying for like the five different solutions I was using, uh, it's uh, like the cheapest, best deal on the planet. So it's like unlimited storage jobs, uploads, $59 a month with no commitment. So it's pretty rad. I'm, we're so, so, so proud of it. And we're adding new features every week that are making it even better. We just added a new feature this week. We have like a, a QR code printout button now that creates a template so people can sign in on their own phone, scan in the QR code. It's wild. It's really cool. So I mean, that's, you know, if you, if you think about that, you know, just, you know, you just think about unlimited storage, for example, you know, the minute you have, you know, the minute you sign up to any um, online gallery, like Pixel set or whatever, you know, you're already looking at quite a hefty sum just to, yeah, just 100, for that. 150 to 200 bucks a month for any gallery system to get an unlimited storage, like just that. Just yeah, that just alone. That. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, what I really love about this is it actually, um, it's sort of, you know, it, it, it sort of, um, it solves two problems. One is the client experience. It really just creates a much better client experience, which is a the, much better, uh, like stupid good. Yeah. Yeah. Which ultimately is the important part because that's sort of, you know, that's your, that's your shop window, the shop window to your business almost, you know, is the, right. is the client experience. That's a great way to put it. it. Yeah. You know, and, but the other, the other side is, you know, is, the, the time saving and the efficiency within your business, you know, yes. where you're not, because I know, I mean, you know, I did a job not so long ago, it was only seven people, was it seven? Yeah, I think it was seven people. So small team, you know, but I did exactly what you described. You know, I created individual, um, you know, individual uh, online galleries, I renamed other files, blah, 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 all of that manually. And that, that in itself took so much time. Yeah, you're, you're going to cut your your production time on a job like that's probably be 10, yeah. 12 hours. You oh, know, yeah, start easy, to easy, easy. And easy, then yeah. and it, with, with headshot tools, your production time would be 60 minutes. Yeah. Like, like, and if that's not worth $59, I don't know what is. Yeah, and, I mean, it's, and, <laughs> it's, it's so stupid. Like, it, it, we're, again, I, I'm geeked out by it. I'm not like selling it. I, it sells itself. Like, once you use it, like, if you know, you know, you know, but like, it's absolutely bonkers like and the cool part is too we have instant email delivery right so like when somebody signs in you get a dashboard and that dashboard has your shooting queue of people so you click on their name if you have instant email delivery enabled when you click on their name to start photographing them that's when the email gets sent so while you're photographing them the email is already in their inbox in their phone in their pocket and so i'll turn to my computer i'll pick six of the images i just took Command D on Capture One or whatever to export to that watch folder. They walk over to me and I go, take your phone out. And they take their phone out. I go, you got an email in there from me. Oh, there it is. Boom. And they've already got their proofs in their hand. And then I go, okay, so right there on your own device, do me a favor, just put tap the one that you like the best, tap the heart on it, and then and that'll be your selection. And you can limit the number of selections. So if there's a job that's like your client has paid for everybody to get two redutched images, you can make the proofing that you can send instantly or after the fact you know, let them know that they need to select two 
and it will limit them to two selections and it will let them know when they've completed the right number of selections. You can pull up a list of all the retouched images, copy and paste that list into Lightroom or Capture One and filter just down to the retouched selections. Like it's wild yeah. how efficient it is. And you know, the, the beauty of it again is, is the fact that all of that can happen right there and then. One of the things I hate the most and one of the things I first, that was the first, one of the first things I stopped doing was um, was actually uh, working in a sense working with online galleries in the sense that you know when I when I do individual headshots, I make sure that the image selection happens at the end of the session. Nobody leaves this house without oh, yes. having selected yes. their images. I'm a big uh, not everybody works that way, but I'm a big no. advocate of on-site selection. It's yeah. huge. And you know, I'd say about ninety percent of my clients it works. There's probably ten percent, but for, for one reason or another, that you know might have to. They get always their call wife. an audible. Like your company contact gets freaked out that there's not enough time for everybody yeah, to yeah. select, and then they say, "Just put it into a gallery. We'll do yeah. it later." That's exactly. Sometimes, sometimes that's out of your control. Yeah. yeah. And then, but then what happens is, of course, you end up chasing people. It's like if you have like even if you have a small company with like let's say twelve employees, and you know there's there's a contact person, and uh, they basically send an email out with a link to to a web gallery. And then they have to get these 12 people to select their individual, their favorite shots. That takes absolutely flipping forever because they're going to have to chase their employers to actually. Not with headshot tools, because yeah. not only does that company contact not have to do it, but you can do it with the push of one button. We have what we call yeah. smart emails, right? So here's what happens. Let's say I've got 10 people and I do group, small groups all the time. So I got 10 people and I've sent out the email to notify everybody that their gallery is ready to select their retouched images from. So let's say that six people go right away, select their one image for retouching. What about those four people? I can see that they viewed their gallery. I can also see in Headshot Tools that they haven't made their selection. So what I'll do is let's, if I go back to our mass notify feature, I can send an email just to people who have viewed their gallery but not made their selection yet. And smart emails will send them an email automatically, just those people that says, you're, we're still waiting on your selections, da, 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 da. And if they haven't viewed their gallery, they'll get another email that says your gallery is available to view. And if you upload their retouched images into Headshot Tools, Headshot Tools will, rec will recognize which images are retouched using its naming convention. It'll send, the, it'll, it'll send 10 different people, 10 different emails, all depending on what status they're at in the system. And it does it automatically. You click one button, every person gets the exact appropriate email for what their status is in the system. And like you wrap up jobs so quickly. And the best part is you click one button, your client does literally nothing. Your company contact does, has to do none of this. Like it's all done for them and it's all automated inside headshot tools. It's, it's ridiculous, dude. I'm telling you. Yeah, and that's, that's ultimate, ultimate, uh, problem solving right there because you're solving somebody else's problem. But I mean, this is really like, you know, you could describe this as a studio software that you take out of the studio onto location. Yeah, it's, and, it and it's web, it's a web-based platform. Go ahead. Yeah, you're fine. My wife's leaving now. Say bye, Eddie. Bye, Julie. <laughs> bye. Um, she was just standing by the door waiting for a moment to exit. Um, it's a web-based platform, so there's nothing to download, and you always have the latest version of it. So, like, And it works across Mac, PC. It doesn't matter because there's nothing to install. It just works. Even the auto-upload utility is web-based. There's not even a desktop thing to download. So like, it's it's so light. You can run it off of pretty much any computer you want to, no problem. It's it's built so light and scalable. The bones of it is built. It's built like a like a social media web app. It's crazy, crazy fast. Um, so it, yeah, there's it's. It, I can't say enough good things about it. I wish I'd built it. I mean, I was on the team, but I didn't write a single line of code. Um, it's just, it's just, it, it, it solves all these problems, and it, 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 I can't say enough about it. And just our team is we've 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 been working on this for a year and a half and we just launched the software 
month and a half ago. And it's just been consuming my life to make it as good as it is. And it's, it's headshot. I'll, I'll, I don't want to sell it. Just it'll sell itself. Headshottools.com. It's amazing. If you do this type of work once a month or once a week, it is going to save you 20, 30 times as much money as, as you would ever spend on it. It's just in, in your time and in your stress level. If like it's for photographers who maybe you're looking to move into this space and you don't know how to take on these big jobs and how to organize them, we got you covered. If you're a home brewer or a manual person who does all these jobs, it's it's going to solve all these problems for you. It's going to make, for the home brewer, it take, brings everything to one solution from five. And for the manual people, it's going to save you 20 hours of your life every time you do a job. So like it's, and that's why we built it. We built, we are, we do this. I do this every week, sometimes five times a week. And I, I, I wrote, I, I designed this idea and Justin wrote the software and Dave consulted with us as a, as our partner too. And we all put our heads together. We made this to solve our own problems because we do this. And that's why it's good. I think, you know, because <laughs> it wasn't designed by a venture capitalist looking to move into the extremely lucrative volume headshot software space, which by the way, doesn't exist. It's like, we just build a platform to solve our problems and happen to be sharing it with the world. And it's pretty rad. It's again, you know, I, I really love every single aspect of it. And, you know, for those, I think, you know, you know this, I'm sure. Uh, and, and I think there, there are many actual photographers out there, um, you know, but when you, you know, let's say you're used to shooting like small teams of five or something where you can still do things manually. It takes a lot of time and it's a pain in the backside, you know, and all the rest of it. But the first time, you know, somebody, you had a conference or whatever, and somebody says to you, okay, uh, can you do headshot for like, you know, 200 people, our sales teams, you're facing a whole different set of problems. As soon as, as, soon as that scales, you know, tools right. like that will become absolutely invaluable. But it's, it's infinitely scalable. That's the thing. You know, I, I use, I use head, and the cool thing is I've been using headshot tools for like when I go, when I shoot a team of eight and then they hire somebody new, I put the new person into that same headshot tools job and then everything stays in the same place. And so it's, it's wild, dude. And, and like the, um, but I use it also for where I shoot 500 people over the course of a couple of days. And it makes, it's, it's without breaking a sweat, you will go from, I have no idea how to do this to, I am the master of the world. I am the king of headshots <laughs> or queen of headshots or person of headshots. You will go from feeling completely overwhelmed to going like, why was I even worried about this? You know, and it's meant for any, any size team, literally, and any size event. Like, so if it's three people, four people to 3000 people, it will scale for that number of people. And it's, it's the best customer service you're going to be able to give. And it's going to save you hours and hours and hours of just miserable admin work that you, that, that you may have done in the past. And you know, again, it's a, it's a great weapon in the arsenal, you know, or in, in the battle against AI <laughs> in that respect. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, I'm telling you what, it's going to empower photographers to deliver faster and better than AI. Like it, it really does. Like, cause it's literally instant. 10 seconds after they walk away from having their picture taken, they've got them on their phone without, and all you had to do was push a button. Like they just stood there and now they've got them. Like it's, AI can't do that yet. It's still, even some of the AI processes are like, it takes a bit, two business days to generate all the whatever. You know, I'm faster than that. <laughs> like can't, can't, can't get much faster than instantaneous, you know? And so again, I don't think it's like us versus the machines. There's no useful technology that's ever been invented that hasn't been used. 
from everything, including the atomic bomb. You know, like if it gets invented and it's useful, it gets used. So if you're sitting there crossing your fingers, hoping that AI is just going to blow over, it's not. It's not. And so if you want to run a business that's going to, you have to make, you have to pull different levers to make yourself stand out. And there are going to be, there are always going to be people that are going to go for the cheapest, most automated option. And there are things in your life that you do exactly the same thing. You automate something right now in your life as a consumer that is taking the job away from someone, a human being. So we all take part in this. So you can make your business quite a bit more AI proof by either going to the high end on individual headshots or going on this amazing, instantaneous, no sweat, take it completely off your client's plate business model. And that and that's going to keep you in business, I think. And uh, it's something that's been going on or that's been happening in business, you know, for, for centuries and centuries. You know, things... Since like forever. Since, yeah, since, since the forever. end of time. Like the printing press put a whole lot of monks out of business. I'll tell you that. That's, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, monks who spent their entire lives learning how to do calligraphy and how to make these beautiful things by hand. Every single one of them lost their job in like a week. It's like, sorry, you could just go back outside to weeding the garden now. We don't need you to write stuff. We can just print it now, you know? Like people who there, they were the the village elders who held all the stories and passed those stories word for word down from generation. Somebody invented the written word, and now we don't need that guy anymore either. Like like it's it's somebody don't be don't be the horse and buggy horse and buggy repairman who was pissed that the automobile was invented. Like get ahead of it. Just you can't stop the change. You can only like anticipate and pivot. That's it. Those are your options. Or go out of business. Yeah, you know, you know the, the times are going to change. I mean, that's that's what's that's what's happening. I think uh, you know, to me, really, it's you know, it feels like AI is basically, uh, you know, um, it's conjuring up a, a change in the way that we do things. You know, that's probably very similar to um, the emergence of the internet. Oh yeah, and. Yeah. and Digital photography was supposed to kill photography. Photoshop was supposed to kill photography. Everything is going to kill photography. Yet photography persists, you know. And so it, it may, as a vocation, it may change and will change, you know. But I don't think that, uh, I don't think it's going anywhere. Professional photography is going to change. I, I honestly think that a lot more photographers are going to have to start being able to produce video as well. I think video is, has to be, become a, a part of your business to sort of stay alive. I think that's going to have a lot more longevity. Um, and then anything that's sort of like authentic or based around an event or something that's happening is is relatively safe from from AI taking photography and video out of it. Because like, who wants an AI generated picture of their baby's birth or of their wedding? Like, you you don't really like because it's not real, you know. So for at least for now, and and the, and the upcoming generation, they may have very different feelings about it. They're going to interact with technology in a completely different way that we don't understand. And and so who knows? But I'll be dead by then, so that's cool. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> yeah, so, there, so there's that, that to look better. forward to. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I mean that's that's one way to safeguard your you know to future proof your business you know against um against things like AI. It's it's simply you know to to get used to forever changing the way you do business here because nothing ever stays the same. Yeah, I think you've got a good solid half a generation to go before we really see it all the way down to the user level where people who take important momentous photos of times in people's lives, whether that be portraits, weddings, I think that 
it's going to be a while before the people who are kids now grow up and they don't care whether it's AI generated or not. So you've got a while to go to figure out what you're going to do with your business. Commercial photography is a lot more susceptible to AI right now than personal photography and headshots yeah. are commercial photography. Like, But just like 3D modeling has hurt a lot of photographers and artists over the years, like it'll take a big ass bite somewhere out of the commercial photography space, but it won't kill it, but it will change it. You just got to got to be aware that that's happening. Of course, you know, but you can, if you could time travel 60 years into the past or something, you know, the, that whole industry would have looked completely differently because, you know, you know, there are no labs anymore to speak of and all the people that used to work in labs and develop film or whatever, you know, don't, those jobs just don't exist anymore. Similar right, thing. Yeah, is, those people had to learn how to use an inkjet printer. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there are, obviously are. Some still survive and it's very yeah. boutique. And it's very expensive. And and that's where a lot of for some photographers, we're going to maybe the market, the market is going to shrink. It is. And in a, in a lot of the spaces of photography, it, the market's going to shrink. You just got to be like, do you want to be a part of the smaller market later? Or do you want to diversify and open up your product offerings? That's that's basically it. Yeah. That's the or or leave the industry. Those are your choices. Yeah, and there are always opportunities because you know I think I think that's going to be a, a a major. It's going to have a major impact on wedding photography in the sense that everybody's going to be a wedding photographer now. <laughs> dude, you know how many times I've heard that in my career? I've been in the photography yeah. business. I was ten years old, dude, and I've heard that so many times. Not bad. At the beginning of the Great Recession, when a lot of people who were hobbyists got laid off their steady gigs. You know, and then all these people who are all of a sudden unemployed who happen to own cameras are like, well, I'm going to turn my hobby into my job. And then there was a wave, just a, a tidal wave of new people coming into the photography business from like 2006 to 2012. And they none of them had any idea what they were doing. And they were all just just undercharging and giving crappy digital files. Wave after wave. Those young millennials just just ruining everything and blah, blah, blah. And we're still here. And most yeah. of them are, and most of them are gone now. You know, yeah. like it's like, it's fine. Like it's not an easy business to make a living in. It's an easy business to get into. It's not yeah. an even easy business to make a, a living in long term. So like what we have to do is to outlast other people and to outlast your competition. You have to just make smart business decisions. Keep your eye on the ball, look down the road and see what's coming and take your personal feelings out of your business decision and make smart business decisions. So if you want to stay in the space, you got to treat it like a business because the people who come in and they're shooting their passion clicking, oh, passion, coffee, puppies. Those are great. I love that energy. And when that energy comes into the industry, it, it infuses us with a lot of great new ideas and a lot of really cool stuff. And I have nothing against those people. 90% of them are going to wash out. They're going to hit the hobby paradox. They're going to realize that taking something you love and turning it into your job is really, really hard in the long term. Once they turn around and they look at their books and they take aside what other income they might have had, and they're going to look at what their photography business is actually making or losing, they're going to leave. They're going to go away. You just have to be make good business decisions Steady the ship as much as you can. Look to the future. Make dispassionate decisions, and outlast the other people around you. And that's how you stay alive. Like it's it's as simple as that. Like people will come. The waves and waves of new people have been coming into the industry every time everything got more accessible. Once the thirty-five millimeter cameras became like accessible, and those started to be the fashion. And then professional photographers using a thirty-five millimeter camera 
that was like sacrilege. What do you mean you don't shoot with a Hasselblad? What do you mean you don't shoot with a Bronica or a Mia? Like, oh my God, you're shooting with a Canon or a Nikon as a professional? Like those were hobbyist cameras forever. And then all of a sudden people came along and they're like, no, this is, I'm a wedding photographer. This is actually way, 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 way better than, than dragging around a medium format camera with a prism on top. So yeah, I'm yeah. just going to do this. And then it became the standard. All of our major modern digital cameras, all those systems are modeled on 35 millimeter cameras, which would have been anathema to medium format shooters back in the 80s and the 90s. Like, it, like it's everything changes. Everything that comes along is going to kill photography and nothing has killed it yet. It's, it's like just a different. It's like a weed. <laughs> That's what it is. What's the, the persistent weed is people's negativity. Yeah. You know, it's people's attitude towards change is the persistent weed. People resist change so much, yet it is the only thing in the universe that is inescapable and constant. Change is constant. Nothing stays the same. Entropy comes for everyone. And so you got to get on board with it. You either have to figure out a way to use it or to get around it or, 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 or get, out of the, get out of the business. But if you're going to sit there and whine every time dumb new kids come into the industry, because I was a dumb new kid when I came into the industry in 2007. I was a dumb new kid with a digital rebel that I bought on sale. And now, 15 years later, I have a profitable, long-term successful photography business, and I teach at every, pretty much every major photo conference that you can teach at. And people come to me and ask me what I think about things and what they should do. Yet in 2007, there were been plenty of photographers that would have loved to see me wash out because I was just a stupid young kid trying to make my passion into a hobby, clicking around with a digital rebel, having no idea what I was doing. So any one of those idiots coming into the business right now could be the next person to change the industry by bringing great new ideas in. Stop worrying about those people. Worry about your business. Worry about yourself. Practice your own stuff. And let the people who come in and are successful, be happy for them, cheer for them. And the people who wash out, just be glad they're gone and keep moving on. Like, there's no negativity necessary. I never understood that. I never understood being negative about people who are trying to do the exact same thing that you did at one point, which was go into photography because you like taking pictures. I don't want to make it my job. And you're just mad at them. It's like when somebody comes to the United States or to England from a country that's objectively harder to live in for whatever reason. And they make it there and they gain legal status as an immigrant. They build a wonderful life. And then they turn around and they're mad at other people trying to immigrate to the same country and do the same thing 10 years later. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, you just did this. Exactly. What, you, just, yeah. you think yeah. you're going to get here and like close the door behind you? You can't. That's, you're just, the thinking there yeah. in our photography business is mad. You don't get to close the door behind you and be a gatekeeper once you come in. You got to come in when you wanted, and so does everybody else. And everyone is responsible. For their business to survive long term and what somebody else does has nothing to do with you mind your business run your program make healthy business decisions and stop cry stop being such a crybaby <laughs> just do it man i think that really chimes with me because i'm an immigrant here you know and it's, uh, i've had exactly the same the same experience um gary if you had to i'm also an immigrant by the way i'm not an american citizen we yeah, we immigrated to the United right? States when I was two, so yeah, I'm yeah. I'm on a I'm on a permanent I'm a permanent resident, but yeah, so I'm like I speak from experience. Not I don't yeah. look like or sound like a typical immigrant because I grew up here, but I am one, so I'm allowed yeah. to say that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I don't sound like a typical Brit, but you know that's uh, yeah, I've been working on it for a long time. Well, you say quid, I noticed, so there's I, that. That is yes, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have to fit in 
at some point. You know, people do need to understand what I'm talking about <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> yeah, but, if you uh, started paying for things at like Deutsche Marks, you'd be in trouble, especially yeah, yeah, since exactly. they don't exist anymore, right? Hey, man, I, you know, this is one of the most bizarre things because, you know, I moved away, I moved abroad in the early 90s, right? So I've been, I've been away from, from Germany uh, for a long time. But, you know, ever since I moved away, um, the country has, like early 90s, I'd say, yeah, very early 90s. So the country is basically almost doubled in size. You know, the currency is different and they had a spelling reform. So nothing's even spelled the same. In Germany, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you had the unification of, of East and West Germany and, yeah. and like now it's on the Euro. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's and, bonkers. You know, and, and it's been a spelling reform. So like, you know. Yeah. You, yeah, if, like you've been in, if you've been in the UK for 30 years and now Germany is definitely the foreign country to you, right? Like, that's oh, 100%. Funny. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My German is so rusty. It's, it's funny. Is that not a problem of like the comprehension part is fine. You understand what people are saying. Although, of course, language always develops. And when I listen to my younger cousins, I sometimes think like, I, I, I understand the words you're using. I have no clue what you mean. It but, happens you know. with English too. I don't understand anything that these like these young, that these kids and teenagers are talking about. The, the way that like there's so many funny TikTok and YouTube videos it's, about like how Gen yeah. Z talks. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't get it at all. But yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm, I'm in my 40s now, so I have to try and keep up and yeah. stay relevant so that people will still hire me. Yeah, so I mean, even, you know, my youngest daughter is 12 and my and my stepdaughter is 19. And even between them, there's already a generational difference. Yeah, that's 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 a that's a generational gap. Yeah, that's like, yeah. that's the, uh, that's a, the younger millennial and a Zoomer. Yeah, 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 right? yeah exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, Gary, if you had to basically uh, give a young photographer starting out in the hedge of business one piece of advice in one minute, what would it be? I don't think I can do anything in a minute. Uh, to be honest with you. Uh, okay, I'll I'll say this. Concentrate on your running your business, on speaking to people who work in the corporate world. You don't sell with emotion, sell with efficiency, and stop trying to make people fall in love with you. That's not what it's about. Give people the pricing and information they need to make a decision, and the with a call to action and an ability to act and be fast. Do everything in as few words and as few emails as you possibly can, because the thing that they're trying to do is cross something off a list. They're not trying to fall in love with you, want to have coffee with you. They're trying to get this off their list so that they can get the next thing on their list done. So run it like a business, learn how to speak to people who are running a business, learn what's important to them and carry good insurance. <laughs> Especially the insurance part. That's it. That's that's it. That's it a minute. Did I make it in under a minute? Oh, that's great. Yeah. Fantastic. Gary, thank you so much for being on the show. It was an absolute pleasure, as always. Um, Thanks, man. It's it's fun. I love, you know, I love running my mouth, and it's always nice to see you. Okay, folks, that's all for today. It's always awesome to have Gary on the show, and be sure to check out Headshot Tools. But before we go, let me just recommend another episode that I think you like. Check out episode 55 with Headshot legend Peter Hurley and episode 139 with Rafael Weigel. I'm never sure how to pronounce his name, but I'm pretty sure you love it. And for those of you who are listening to the audio version of this podcast, did you know that there's a fully-fledged video version over on YouTube with plenty of examples of our guest photography in full Technicolor? All you have to do is go over to YouTube, search for Camera Shake Podcast, and you'll be able to watch all past episodes on there. And if you're on YouTube already, well, get in touch and leave a comment, and remember to hit the like button, ring the bell, and share with your friends. You can help us reach a greater audience all over the world. And if you've been listening this far, then why wouldn't you hit the like button? Right. 
it's logical, isn't it? Once again, thank you for listening and watching, and I'll see you next Thursday. Bye.